It's a party. We're back. Another episode of the Soccer Dad Pod. Coming well, at you. Let's go. Um, you, I mean, you guys know me, right? Here we go. Listen. You guys know this one? No, I don't. Oh, my God. So Okay, so safe to assume you don't know the song. Or who sings it? Do you, any guesses? When you hear the vo- the lead singer's voice, and then I tell you who it is, you're gonna get it here. Okay, you ready? Band is in excess. Okay, got it. Right. Okay, sure. Do you, do you remember the movie it was from? Late '80s, uh, maybe '90, 90, '91, actually. Roadhouse. Vampires. Vampires. Oh, West Coast. Oh, the, uh, outsiders. Or not the Outsiders. Uh, oh, Bram Stoker. No, no. the one with uh, vampires. You could you dorks watched movies with, about vampires. With Sutherland. Yes. Kiefer. Thank. No. Uh, yes. Yeah. Isn't it not the Outsiders? Is that Jack Bauer? The Lost Boys. Lost Boys. The Lost Boys. Yeah. I watched Jack Bauer. I didn't watch movies about vampires. I, I would nerds. like you to go home and watch it. Little homework. Go watch that. Oh God. <clears throat> uh, we're back for another episode. That's right. We um, are. I believe today's episode is one of those that you, uh, Jared, that you would maybe define as a flippin' hammer episode. Yeah, I mean, I think you got to put this guy up on the Mount Rushmore of somewhere. St. Louis soccer, family, pedigree. <clears throat> pedigree, we use that word a lot. I mean, I'm, it, it, exciting. I've, I've used the Mount Rushmore a few times on this show, too, and I think the problem is Mount Rushmore, by default, the original, the OG Mount Rushmore, is four faces. I think we deserve more. I think St. Louis deserves ten. Well, I'm looking at a uh, uh, on our a, Mount Rushmore. I'm looking board. at a uh, 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 like a picture rollout here at the beautiful sunny Fenton Scott Gallagher, and uh, there's some Mount Rushmore guys on this picture. I mean, this is the who's who uh, yeah. of St. Louis soccer here, and women, and women. Yes, yep. Um, it is. Today is one of those. Names, faces that absolutely deserves to be on there. It's going to be fun. Um, but here's what we're going to do first. We're going to have our little intro. We're going to have our little happy chat, our fireside chat. Uh, we're going to mindless we're, banter. Uh, my, well, I believe there's a little bit of mind involved in the banter. Yeah, from this side of the table. Yeah. What side is that? Uh, that would be our side. Oh, <laughs> let's go. <laughs> I meant my side. Um. First things first, we we gotta thank our supporters, um, Bill and Chris over at the Pinnacle Loans. Um, continue to support the show. Really appreciate it. Um, y- y- rates are coming down. Did you know that? I did know that. Did you um, know that? Sam? I did not. But I thought the Fed was raising. So mm, nope. If you look at uh, that buoy, that benchmark thirty. Yeah. It's coming down. People oh, good. Time to save some money. If interested, um, as we state in our amazingly produced commercial with uh, Jared's silky soft voice, it's super easy. Hit them up. Yeah, it is the easy. The Pinnacle Loans. The Pinnacle Loans. Yep. Yep. They're over, 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 on, over on Macklin. <laughs> you uh, know, we'll go right into the points. Um, yeah, it's time. I, I, I think we need to. Um 
we can't who, keep who, this who's hammer. Who's first? So I'll go first. Um, what, what do you got? You know, mine's a little bit off base from our normal soccer or pop culture. I'm um, super intrigued. Um, pinnacle point one of the day is, um, you know, we've been very humble. I'm a very humble person. And um, <laughs> we talk about that we have a few people listening to this show. And, and, you know, we're starting to get some feedback. And thank you to all the followers. And my point one today is, is uh, you know, we just rolled out an episode, our last episode. Take a look back, listen to it. It's very informative. It, 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 it touches on our um, back and forth with the, the topic of kind of what's going on in today's world that we've been hitting on. We have a great guest today. Uh, you're going to love it. Our guest coming up, um, I'm really excited. And, and I'm just a little teaser is my pinnacle point one of the day is, we have a lot of different walks of life and within our game, influential soccer players, owners. Uh, we got an exciting 10 days ahead of us as far as recording this show. We're having a lot of fun doing. And, and for you guests out there that are, uh, are listening, thank you for doing so. Share it. Do that. Um, get another guy to listen. Um, it's getting exciting, and, and I think our fans, if you are fans, the few that we have, you, you guys will enjoy what we roll out in the coming future. So that sounded more like a pinnacle poster board than a pinnacle point. Well, hey. <laughs> they, yeah. gonna, I, I like it. I they're like going to pay us extra for that one, right? Yeah. I will text them. All right. What you got, Zach? <clears throat> so mine is not soccer related at all. It's just a phenomenon that's happened, and I, I shared this with you guys a couple days ago. My daughter, Ansley, is is. Are you wearing your wife's coat? No, I'm not wearing my wife's coat. Because you're cold, and you went to go get a coat, and that that's your coat. Yes, it's, this it's, is my. It, is that teal? This is my gray and teal Patagonia. <laughs> Uh, fleece. Okay, daughter, let's go before. Yeah. Because this is an audio recording. Yeah, so no video proof. she has been on TikTok for quite some time, just posting little weird videos that most kids do. She posted a reaction video to one of the most disgusting things I've ever heard. I didn't even get it. Oh, I'm not going to describe it. But the, the reason I'm bringing it up, she, rec- she released that Monday evening. Yeah. It's at 121,000 likes, 3,500 comments for a six second TikTok video where she doesn't say anything. She just responds with a weird, like squeaky squeal that is very entertaining, I guess, enough to where it's almost at a million views. And I just thought I'd throw that out there because it's, it's a shocking phenomenon to me. So you're saying social media is trash. Well, yeah, it, it, it is, but, it, but okay. why? Like, but how little, does that little, become... I think the listener needs a little frame of reference. It, it, it is um, uh, locker room humor at best, and, and Ansley, right? It's, a, it's under her account, right? Yes. Yeah. So, look, go to TikTok, Ansley Lewis, check it out, add to those millions of views that are popping up, and... We'd love your feedback on that. Just email us and tell us how warped our world is. Yeah, it's just it's it's weird, and I and and I don't think she ever intended for anything to go viral. She just yeah. <laughs> put it out there, and it it did, and that just that's just weird to me. Uh, my pinnacle point. Touche. Touche. A. It, oh, 
did, did you know that I was going to bring this up? I did not. What? Bring My up. pinnacle point of the day is the great. The great. I can't wait to talk about it. <laughs> have you you've watched it? Well, have you watched I have watched season? it, but I got to tell you what I've done. But I'll let you go first, and I, I'm just going to tell you my stance on it. Okay, so for those of you that have listened to the show early on, uh, Jared and I found the show with my wife. We were watching it, and we became addicted to The Great on Hulu. Long story short, Catherine and the Great takes marries Peter. Um, Peter the Great's son, Peter. Peter. Peter the Great's son, Peter. Um, and he is a dipshit, and she is a German noble class. I mean, it's all, it's a, I believe it says it's a relatively true story in the beginning of, the, of, of every episode. It is brilliant. And this, the most recent season, we got back from uh, Carolina on our trip, and we started binging it. It is off the charts funny. Well, so, go, go ahead. ahead. I, to me, like... I would love to be within Hulu's offices and to try to figure out the metrics. I binged it. I watched season one, season two. Couldn't wait for season three to come out. The beginning of season three is freaking gold. Peter the Great, son, Peter, is the most phenomenal character of any yeah. show ever. So, so this He is- dies before the third season ends. I've stopped watching it. I don't want to watch the show without him in it. You just spoilered the whole show. It doesn't matter. I mean, it's it's history. So just look it up. Wait a minute. Wait. Encyclopedia wait, Britannica. Wait. Because they had Hulu. Peter, little Peter, doesn't make it. Is that what you're trying to tell me? Maybe he's saying maybe, maybe. watch it. But well, I'm going to stop watching it. Episode three because I can't get through. <laughs> I can't. I, I I've tried. I want to be cool with you guys. <laughs> but oh, no, I no, 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 no. Just it, it is not about being cool. It is about being kind of get through it. slapstick. Dude, he's it's, hilarious. It's what, gut, hey, it's let me ask you this. Comedy is In the third season, when they're about to go with that, they go, they're going to go to a duel, and it's his buddy Gregor is, uh, is going to be in the duel, and then there's this little kid. Yes. And then they go out to practice the duel, and Peter's on his knees because the kid's little, so you have to, like, March 10 paces and then turn around and shoot back in the day and it's his buddy Gregor and then Peter's on his knees and that scene is freaking comedic gold. It is hilarious. Yeah. So moral of the story is just watch the show. It is definitely not kid friendly and I would (laughs) I would highly recommend maybe tequila rocks gummies and gummies (laughs) All at the same time. Haribu? Yeah. All of it. Watch it. Laugh. All good. Um, I have a pinnacle point of the day, number four. Um, and I want to talk briefly about City SC. Here we are. We're, when we're recording this, we're on the All-Star break. League's Cup is going down. Um, we made a singular uh, transfer uh, window move uh, with the player from Ice- Iceland. The Icelandic left wing. Yeah, so two things. Number one, kind of like uh, tongue-in-cheek, yeah, the STL fan page, all that. It amazes me how many people living in South City St. Louis that grew up in Freeburg, Illinois, 
knew everything about this kid from Iceland <laughs> who grew up next to a fjord or a, a volcano or something. Like, they, they know his favorite color. It, that blows me away, number one. But number two, the more important point is I love where we're at going into the second half of the city. Uh, uh, second half of the season, excuse me. Going into the season, as we talked about on this show, it, expectations were extremely tempered because none of us knew what we had. We had no idea what the team was going to look like. None of us knew any of the players, even those that claimed to know the players. They didn't know what the fuck Just was sheer going guttural on. excitement because of the new fancy star. It was like, just don't embarrass us, right? That, that was the goal out of the gate, and they've completely crushed that fear. Going into the second half of the season, looking at the schedule, looking at our team, looking at the, the, the recovering players, looking at uh, 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 Stryker, um, John Blank. Klaus? Klaus. Yow. Klaus. Yow's on the way back. I'm, I've shifted my position. I'm excited, legitimately excited for the second half of the season. I think we're going to make a run. I think we're going to continue to push, continue to gain points. Our goal differential st- is staying heavy. Um, I have no, I have no fear right now. Game one, pre-game one, I had fears. Game two, I had fears. Bring them on right yeah, now. Yeah, come to the party. My, my, my thoughts are that you, you need to chime into this because I'm going to take it down this road a little bit, and we don't need to overdraw this, uh, overgo this intro. Um. I'm all cupcakes and rainbows when it comes to the city, and I'm going to be a little bit of a skeptic. Um, I don't fully understand the the organization. I'm not going to act like I do. Um, I'll just ask this question. We all watched them play the first Leagues Cup game against Columbus. Away game against Columbus. Yep. Go. Yeah, I didn't do, watch do, it. You didn't watch it? No, because it was 11 o'clock start time and you were on vacation no i wasn't i was home okay do you think we put our best foot forward no it's obvious we didn't and if we're going to talk about that game specifically why celio pompeo why you why you leave the wall why why you got to do that well i i don't want to get in the weeds on that because i think that the team is starting to look at in year one here here's my hypothesis their goal is to win the league and put Make their best it deep forward into the Clearly. playoffs. Had we not had the start we did, I think the league's cup would have been more important. I think the uh, gold cup or not gold cup, uh, open cup, open cup would have been more important. This may show my ignorance. Why isn't everything important? I don't think that's it's not important. Be, be, well, because bodies burn out, right? And we've already proven it with some of our best players. You and got, the, you our be style. Careful. I mean, yeah, that's another factor. Touche. I mean, I, you know, I, I just... That would be the great reference. I, I just... I mean, I was so excited to watch that game going into Columbus. And we look like a bag of dicks right out of the gate. Well, we'll see how things turn out tomorrow night. I mean, I think tomorrow night's going to be a, a really, really intense test. Yeah. And not well, just Well, remember, though, we're going to be dropping this well after the game. So let's... Not speculate too much because no, no, I don't, be I don't like, want to. I don't want to. We give already it. know the answer. Yeah, I, I just I think that that's going to be a, a different environment. Yeah, if they start on time, the crowd noise is going to be a major factor. These guys are used to playing in front of a, a very boisterous cloud, crowd, and they were in Columbus, and there was like eighty-five people there. I hope we start on time because I'm going to have to go f- straight from the game to work. To bed, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I do have a pinnacle point of the day for 
And That's five. This five. is five now. Is it number five? I think it's excessive. Oh, but this one's funny. You guys the are going to PinnacleHomeLoans.com. Yeah. Um, you guys are going to love this one. So we're down in uh, Carolina on our trip, you know, uh, about a week plus ago. Uh, by the time this thing drops, uh, my wife gets seasick. So she did not go fishing with us. Noticed we, that. Yeah. Yeah. We take off. She, she, and she's a busybody. She's got to have her laptop. She claims it's on out of office, but it's really not. She's working, but she does all, a lot of the house stuff, right? Sure. Um, checking on a bill or whatever it is. So uh, she's a master at uh, credit card points, mm. freaking flyer miles, hotel points, all that stuff. Like she's got this chessboard and maximizes our travel efficiency. Well, the most recent one is a new Amex card to. Um, my business, so that we can get a bunch of airline points. Now, here's the problem. She signed up for it. We were in the car when she signed up for it, and it was one of those things. Uh, put on, JB, I need you on speaker. Just say, yes, I can do what I want. And I tell the person on the phone, yes, she can, she can work on my behalf, right? Fast forward to the other day, uh, no card. Never came in the mail, whatever. So she called to check on it. And in an attempt to beat the system because I'm 30 miles out in the ocean fishing. I can't get on the phone. There's no service. Uh, her solution to the problem was to say she was me. And whenever they were like, they said, uh, you, you don't sound like a man. She said, I'm in transition. <laughs> that explains the sickness. <laughs> they, uh, <laughs> hey, hey, recap the last episode. Like, well, hold on. No, I want to finish this, though. She tells me the story with a straight face. I'm like, you did what? She goes, well, I thought maybe they would change their mind. Well, clearly they didn't. And she sat there for a second. She stared at me. And she's like, I really just kind of thought it was funny. I tried. <laughs> and it was so, pinnacle point five of the day is when you call Amex... Don't tell them you're in transition. They're not going to buy it. Okay? Yeah, I don't think Go I'll ever do that. Um, <laughs> you could. You could. Hi, I'm Kelly. Yeah. Well, but Kelly's a kind of a unisex name, which I've done in the past, and it works. <laughs> um, so. I'm glad we're all admitting fraud. Oh, recapping totally. our last episode. Yes. Joe Clark. Um, wow. No people, by all accounts, players coach. What a freaking nice guy. And all these guys from that era, the secret sauce is, is these guys are just stand-up dudes. I mean, that guy's intelligent. Yeah. He knows his shit. He, 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 he was very well-spoken. I, I, I really enjoyed it because um, I thought... I'd take a listen because I just thought it was very informative for people that are really on this hot-button topic. Well, I think this is that's one of the episodes that if you are a parent in the process guiding your child or your child is approaching the college years and trying to navigate id versus academy versus high school all that stuff his insight was just super simplistic and valuable i loved i loved it i i think his perspective on the nuance that we've been talking about it's not black or white and when you talk about d2 you have to think about, well, where are you going in D2? And yeah. he talked about Wash U and how critical the grades are. 
I think those are the kinds of conversations that really break this down into digestible pieces because it's not that simple. No. And by the way, his it definition was another variation that was yep. against the mold of some of these other it definitions. Yep. No, it's good. Go check it out. And when you do, send it to a friend. The greatest gift that you can provide us pathetic soccer dads is a share and a like and maybe a review and maybe you know if we get enough i can afford a non-gray and teal jacket we are definitely buying you a new hoodie because this is i'm balling in this <laughs> ball is probably not the white word that um, it looks like mrs jb would wear that yeah <laughs> <laughs> she's in transition we'll be right back the streets outside, she says. Yo, Jared here. Remember the pool pandemic of 2021? I was infected. I needed my own oversized oasis in Wentzville. I needed a simple solution to pay for it. So I reached out to my favorite undefeated CBC freshman standouts, Bill and Chris, at The Pinnacle Loans. Long story short, I have my pool. It's a flipping hammer. The loan process with those guys was so simple. Even I did it. Now, every time I get in my pool to drink ice cold beer, I can thank the team over at thepinnacleloans.com. That's thepinnacleloans.com. 20 and 0 as freshmen? Really? Sound yep. sounds good in my ears. Yep. Here you go. You like that part better? Ow. Ow. I'm taking a guess here because in going old school style, rolling in here, uh, I'm taking a guess with a walk-up song. Given that our guest today grew up in North County, uh, I won't say what year he was born. You can Wikipedia it if you want, but uh, I'm going to assume as a child. This might have been on the rotation. Have we had a guest from non-North County? I don't... Th- <laughs> yes. <laughs> Do we have a guest on the show that is not from the North County of St. Louis? Um, Wayne Jones from Wrexham. Okay. <laughs> Shep Messing. Shep Messing is not from North County. Okay. okay. All right. Without further ado, <laughs> we have the Mr. Mike Sorber with us today. How you doing, Mike? I'm doing great, thanks. Are you uh, are you super excited about this? Super excited. <laughs> My first podcast. First first one this month. This right? month. There you go. <laughs> well, dude, um, thank you for joining us. Um, whenever Patch texted a little while back saying, hey, would you like Mike Sorber on the show? And I was like, I believe my response was more educated than duh, but uh, that was basically what it meant. Like, absolutely, you know, you are... Uh, uh, we were talking on the break earlier that St. Louis is one of those unique towns, an extremely unique town from a soccer perspective, sp- specifically domestically, in that we have Mount Rushmore names, you know, kind of in our heads. The Altros Plus, everybody, right? And you're one of those names that is d- deserves it. So I, I believe I pitched, uh, what was it, Jared? Uh, ten, ten? We deserve ten, not just the standard four faces. Yeah. What do you think? You down with that? Well, I mean, you're right. There are so many great names. You know, we can we can start with Harry Keel. We can go before that. 
obviously Steve Putcher. Uh, and then currently, did, did you know. Pay, did he pay you to say that? He did. He did. <laughs> I got a pretzel. There you go. <laughs> and a Pepsi. <laughs> pretzel and a Pepsi. Like the old days of Flow Valley. Uh, but, yeah, there, there's so many great names, so many great players. Yeah, it's – and, uh, look, I've, I've lived in different parts of the country, and I can say that St. Louis is – there's no other place like it. Nobody comes close to what is replicated here from the St. Louis Soccer Hall of Fame to the soccer park, um, you know, groups getting together. Today we had a little gathering with Kevin Grimes and Joe Clark and Dan Gaffney and Mike Collum, wow. my dad, uh, Kevin Kalish, <laughs> Kenny Godat, you know, where you just send out a text and, and you have a little get-together. That's awesome. And that's, that's really something special. Well, let's lean into that a little bit more because Godad in particular, he, uh, as we mentioned earlier, he, he's, he's a neighbor. So as I was pulling out to come here, uh, he mentioned that luncheon and he's like, hey, make sure you talk to him about you know, his opinion on St. Louis versus everybody else because he's on board. <laughs> he's on board. <laughs> well, we're looking at this We Are Scott Gallagher sign. And I got to mention it. Um, these are some of the big names that have played professional soccer out of our market here in various regions or domestically here. And in the top right corner, there is a picture um, from a, a player that played at the Metro Stars. And I'm <laughs> admiring the uniform. I mean, how about the baggy setup back in the day? I'm looking at how we're dressed today, all of us, and we're not wearing uniforms. But I mean, I think two of us could fit in that uniform with you <laughs> no doubt you know even even the national team jerseys I, I pulled one out the other day and for sure you could you could fit two or three guys in that jersey and when it got wet it was heavy well our our spinoff from this show is actually soccer dad pod fashion fashionistas so we'll bring you on that one we'll talk about all those bad jerseys and everything else jared jared likes the uh the the rail jump every now and then yeah <laughs> filling us up yeah. that'll be great um here i want to i want to like lean into this a little bit more the because you you've you've had an incredible career it's taken you all over the world uh as a player as a coach you know and every everything else included as a fan i'm assuming as well right so when it comes to St. Louis, though, you know, growing up here, you know, you're a 314 kid. You grew up in Florissant. You, you. Delwood, not Florissant, but yes, North oh, County. Oh, Delwood. That's, see, I like that even more. I, I like it. I respect that more. Um, what does it really mean to you, though, you know, at this stage in your life, in your career, when you look back at your path and you look at all the people that you've come in contact with? You know, like the luncheon today when you have all those names and then, you know, all the other events that you're able to participate in when you have those peers from here, comparing it to all the other places that you've lived and worked and played, what is the difference to you? What, what do you think sets us apart, you know, when it comes to the game, our productivity, our love, passion, etc.? What's the difference? History and tradition. You know, the, when you go far enough back, if you read Dave Lang's book, you know, you're going back to 1890s, and we had a, a lot of ethnic groups here. So that, that got it started, and that laid the seeds, uh, laid a lot of roads, started the foundation of a league, and everything really built off of that. Um, then you have the CYC, 
and again you had different leagues that were that were before me playing patch played in some of them and then the rules changed again once the ncaa got involved the pepsi league or amateur league so to speak where you could play college and in some of these leagues but that history and tradition uh stories talent ideas all got passed along and again it created a culture of kids going out playing in the street playing in the backyard playing at the neighborhood parish uh and that that brought about a lot of talent and and for a small community yeah i think there's been a lot of a lot of great players come out of this out of this town that still continues today so what would you say from a characteristic standpoint, though, um, you know, whether it's technical or tactical or whatever it is, is there something that really stands out beyond just kind of the historical relevance that is kind of in the blood here that's in the river, per se? What is it from a player standpoint, though, that you, that, you know, be, because you're one of those players, whatever it is, you clearly had it, but there's so many more that have had the same thing. What do you think that is from a player perspective? That is that maybe has been carried over over the generations. Well, again, it's it's a continuation of the North versus South. So the South, I would say, had a little different style. It was a little more physical, kick and run, so to speak. They won't like that, especially because my dad's from the South. <laughs> and then in the North, uh, I guess they had we had a little different influence, a combination of some coaches in that area. Uh, and then also my dad being at Flow Valley, we had a, a, a culture or an environment where there was a lot of pickup soccer. So in a way, it was a little more toka-toka or technical before that was really a word. In general, St. Louis is a blue-collar town, hardworking, big union. Um, yeah. And so there's a mentality and a, and a toughness there, so to speak. Personally, for me, having the, the floors and valley fields, the gyms, growing up playing with the college kid guys, but you know that started when I was little, so what influence does that have? Well, when you're a little kid and you're playing against high school kids or college kids, you're not going to be able to dribble, so you have to learn to think quick and play quick. So yes, that was my style, which carried me all the way through to the World Cup, into Mexico, into MLS. And, and that's something a little bit different. I think Brad Davis sort of fits that mold. Tim yeah. Ream fits that mold. Yeah. They also come from Scott Gallagher. Again, that you had an influence from the jersey colors to Tommy Howe. The, the, the culture of those coaches were all on the same page. It was a very small club. There were only four teams at that time, U12, right. 14, 16, 19. And it was uh, possession, keep away, but not with a lot of purpose, just possession. And yeah, that you had some, some skillful players like Kevin Grimes, like Steve Kickham, like Brad Davis, uh, come out of that environment. And so you, you had different areas of the city with different influences. And, and that created a little bit of variety. But then you had the North south rivalry then you had the cyc so you had the parish rivalries that created a really competitive environment where everybody wanted to win 
yeah, than, speaking than from, the high school rival. Yeah, than the high school rivalry. Keeping it, keeping it down when you were keeping it in that era when you were young. Um, you you kind of referenced it, the, the hard work, um, the mentality. Um, Don Ebert was on, and, and he carried that with him for wherever we went. I mean, just, just being the, uh, of the hard work mentality. Being the son of a coach, a highly decorated coach, dad first. Um, can you speak to those early years with the interaction with your dad, learning the game, playing the game? How tough was he on you? How, how, how much excellence did he demand? Um, or was he just a um, happy-go-lucky dad and just wanted you to have fun? Or was there somewhere in between there? Talk about Pete and, and his influence on you in your early life. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, yeah, he wasn't demanding or hard on me. And in a way, I never played for him. Actually, I did one game, the All-Star game out here at the soccer park. But... Um, yeah, I think, you know, when, when we talk about hardworking and blue collar, it's funny the way he coached, his teams never ran. If they ran, they did like two hills, which was, okay, <laughs> let's just do a little something. He never did fitness. It was never, never a part of his thinking. He just wanted to use the game to be the teacher. And then I think he was a good communicator that kept it simple connected with the the players or the kids at the time or the professionals when he was with the steamers that he just had a really good way of connecting creating a picture for what the game what he thought the game was requiring what he thought could help and and yeah it was clear it connected with the players and they were able to grow and in a similar way that's what he did with me um because we had so many opportunities to play up in the gym, to play on the field, to, even when I was a younger guy, I got to train with the steamers. Yeah, he just had a simple way of making a comment, to ask a question that made you think, that helped you identify something that was important or connected with me especially, but I know it did with other players as well. And it, it helped you grow, it helped you uh, learn to get better. And so, yeah, eventually, you know, when it came time to be with the national team, he had some good advice. He said, look, there's, there's better players defensively. There's guys that are faster. There's other guys that score a lot of goals. They can do certain things that are better, but there's nobody better than you. So that was good advice, and uh, it helped carry me all the way through my career. Well, let me, let me ask your opinion on um, <clears throat> just kind of like player development standpoint. Um, you know, just from a youth, a younger youth, say junior high into high school, uh, the younger kid ages, um, based on your story, and this is just kind of a, a broad generic question, really, uh, how important is it for clubs, be it competitive or just kind of uh, advanced rec fun, whatever we want to call it, is it for, for those players that are the, the one or two on a team to play up? Because it sounds as if big chunks of your life were spent in gyms on fields with kids with grown men for for the most part um which probably created a significantly different challenge for you over a long period of time do you think clubs should be doing that more often uh you know playing kids up further and do you think that's a 
it sounds to me as if that's a big kind of core uh, reason why you landed where you landed. Um, agree, disagree, or what? Yeah, I, I agree a hundred percent. I think. Look, no coach makes a player. Coaches can help players, but the game is the best teacher. And so if you don't really have to think about it, if you don't have really have to be aware of what's going on around you and you're just having success, yeah, that's fun and it's good, but it's not the best thing for development. When you have a challenge and you have to survive and you have to figure out what's going on and how you're going to how you're going to survive something in a good way um that's going to make the best players and i think look that's why you see you know a messi go from argentina to barcelona at a young age to being introduced to the first team and you can you can use that example with you know in in every nationality whether it's brazil england france yeah the best players there are late bloomers, so there, there needs to be an area for those kids to, to establish themselves and to mature and to physically um, get up to speed, so to speak. But as far as mentally thinking and, and problem solving, yeah, that's the differentiator for the kids that are going to make it to the elite level or not. Well, let, let me add a part B to the question, because a friend of the show that we had on the show, Pat Noonan, who you, you know well, um, he specifically talked about, uh, we asked about the, the next best thing in the, in the role of social media, Instagram, and all these uh, footy access accounts, things that are pegging 14 and 15-year-old kids as the next coming of you know Pele, right? Um, and, and he was very blunt about, look, I put no stock in that. What I want to see is repeated execution over a period of time against grown men. What, what's your take on kind of that landscape, the, the combination of uh, social media, you know, and its presence with these uh, hot MLS next kids and the expectations and, you know, where they're going and signing homegrowns at 14 or 15 and then expecting to get on the field against 22, 23, 24-year-old players. What's your thoughts there? Because you're obviously on the front lines waiting for those kids to come your way. Yeah, look, social media, Instagram, Twitter, that's all for show. That has no meaning as far as who's going to make it. And so, like Pat said, the most important thing is what is the work like day to day? How is the individual's growth? What is his consistency? How quickly is he grasping ideas, the challenge, the, the culture, the game? And is he growing? Is he going backwards? Um, what does it mean for his game? So it's splashy. It's part of today's society. Um, back in early, mid-2000s, you had Freddie Adu. There's a great example. Yep. Uh, I worked with Freddie with the Olympic team. I uh, worked with him with the full national team. And, yeah, his, his professional career was very short-lived because mentally, in a way, he thought he had arrived. Too much was given to him too early. Um, everybody, he had some talent. But physically, yeah, he wasn't 
really ever going to get up to speed. And if he didn't have a mentality to try to keep working on that every day, the game just quickly passed him Interesting. by. So I have a question, Mike, and it's, it's about the, the variety of coaching roles that you've had and the variety of playing roles that you've had all up and down North America and, and other areas. And I want you to talk about, if you can, kind of the different goals that you had as an assistant on the U.S. team versus an assistant in Toronto or any of the other coaching. So can you talk a little bit about that, the difference in style or approach when you're looking at a national team coaching gig versus a league coaching gig? It's interesting. I, I just thought of it. I went from St. Louis University as a player to the full national team. And I went from St. <laughs> Louis University as an assistant coach to the full national team as an assistant coach. Wow. Um, look, the, the biggest difference with the national team is back then we used to get a January camp maybe two or three weeks, you play a game, you go home for a few days, you come back, maybe you have another camp. And then however many friendlies you're gonna have throughout the year, do you have a gold cup where you can be together for a little longer period of time, but the games come fast and furious, there aren't many days to train. A Copa America, which we went to, you know, a Confederation Cup, and then um, the World Cup. When you work with a professional team, yeah, you have more or less a week to work, game to game. So the, the biggest difference is, you know, the day-to-day -day interaction with the players. And yeah, I think the goal is always the same, right? Everybody wants to try to help each player become the best that they can be. You want the team to be a good group, to be on the same page, everybody pulling in the same direction, and you want to win. And, and you know when you're competing, when you're the U.S., yeah, we're a little behind as far as the number of guys playing in MLS or the guys playing in Europe or what are the different environments that they've been exposed to that they, they have different ideas or they understand the game or the challenges in a different way because MLS is, uh, as you saw in the All-Star game the other day, Arsenal comes over and they... <laughs> Thrash freaking breaks off us. The MLS All Stars. So <laughs> yeah. look, there's there's a lot of different levels to the individual players, to the teams, to the coaches. Uh, when you talk about that's a good player. Okay, what level are we talking about? Yes, yeah. Messi that's is what good. I was getting at. Yeah. Versus Mukhtar, versus Villa, versus Zella Ryan, versus yeah. Josh Sargent. Yeah. Right. You know. Yeah. So um, I, I gotta ask this. Um, 1994, you're on the men's national team for the World Cup that's held here in the United States. Uh, we could talk for hours about what that's done for our game domestically as far as the development of the league and whatnot. Um, I have a follow-up question after you ask, answer this first one. We are, the next World Cup is in North America um, with Apple and the growth of the league and the soccer-specific stadiums. Can you can you explain the similarities and differences on what the World Cup in North America in the near future is going to do with you being a player experiencing it as a U.S. men's national team player in the United States playing in the World Cup? I mean, can you talk about that a little bit on, on what effect it's going to have in our game domestically when we house that World Cup? 
Well, that's a that's a long answer, I think. You know, back in 94... <laughs> and are we going to win? People, <laughs> people didn't really know what the World Cup was. Yeah. And they thought, well, you know, what's this going to be like in the U.S.? And it was, to date, the biggest World Cup in history because we had NFL stadiums, so the mm. number of tickets sold, all of that. And, like you said, it, it, it was able to launch Major League Soccer, so we got professional soccer going again. We had had indoor and various MLS leagues got started and folded and started and folded. And look, in 2000, uh, 2001, the league MLS almost folded if yep. it wasn't for a few, a few owners that said, no, let's, let's keep this going. There were only 10 teams. Yep. And so look how, through luck, some breaks, uh, look what it's done, and, and obviously now St. Louis has an MLS franchise, which is awesome, and you see the excitement that it creates. You know, today I was watching the early show, and they had Messi Mania yeah. on, right? And that is combined with the Women's World Cup, which is, which is happening right now, but it's becoming more mainstream. Yeah, absolutely. For sure, listening to an ex-NFL player and two other media personalities they were knowledgeable they they used the comment Messi looks so fluid and he makes it look so easy so they weren't just mispronouncing the word the sport or the name of a player they actually were engaged have done some research have actually watched the game sometimes you even see people at the game like yep. uh, Serena Williams or whoever yeah, yeah. Kim Kardashian you know uh, it, it's the sport that unites the world for sure. Yep. And, and so when the World Cup came in 94, it was a big party. Uh, it created a lot of headlines. Every city was really surprised how big it was, how exciting it was, how it brought all these cultures, all these countries together. And it was a huge success. What will it mean in this next World Cup? Yeah, there's, it's going to be expanded. There's going to be more teams. There's uh, a, a lot of interest, but a lot more understanding and knowledge of what it means how great it is especially because you, we just had the the last world cup where argentina messi finally won against france and how exciting it was and and just how great it is yeah so yeah it just continues to to bubble up and and educate more and more people because one look when when we would would fly commercial back then everybody would say what you're the U.S. team, soccer, you know, what league do you play in? They didn't know anything. <laughs> what, what's not, a good what, yeah, what, no what, players. What boarding group were you in? Yeah, you A, B, or C. A, B, or C. <laughs> so, so this is more, maybe not a soccer question. This is more of a humanitarian question, or maybe more, maybe that's not the right word. 94 World Cup, you guys start off, you tie Switzerland 1-1. Then you go play the, arguably the pre-World Cup favorites in Colombia. Um you guys go up 2-0 in that game. That first goal, everybody knows what happens. Um, the history is written. Um, you're on the field. But you have to remember, before that own goal, I almost scored an own goal. You did. And, and so my question is, is what did it mean to you being on that field, being a young adult, an athlete, in the political, the fallout, the, 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 all of the movies that it spawned on ESPN, the tale of two Escobars, I mean, you probably shook that guy's hand. I, I, maybe I'm not asking the right question. I mean, that is such a significant event in our life. W what did that mean to you? 
Well, yeah, it's tremendous, without a doubt. You know, I remember walking out before the Switzerland game thinking, okay, I've played a few friendlies. Now it's the first World Cup game. What's this going to feel like? And, uh, you know, they play the national anthem. Your family's there. and And you think, well, this is just like every other game. Sort of. Except... Now, now it counts. Now you really need a result. So we go down 1-0. Switzerland scored a free kick. And then uh, Winaldo scores a great free kick to tie it. Yes, the Colombia game, they were the favorites. They had beaten Argentina like 5-0 in a qualifier. I think Pele had labeled them as, as the World Cup favorites. We played at the Rose Bowl. It was like 120 degrees in the sun. Uh, it was hot. Uh, and we played well. We had played decent against Switzerland. We got our feet wet. We again off to you don't want to lose. You need at least a tie. And now, yeah, you're we we were playing well. We had a good team. And you know there was like a corner kick. Anyway, it it went over my head. I'm running back towards the goal, and the guy hits a cross. I know there's a a player behind me, so I can't just let it go through the six. So I stuck my leg up, and it hit the post rebound came to a guy I slid half blocked it Clavijo clears it off the line a few minutes later we have a little build-up Parks goes down the left side crosses it Escobar own goal unlucky uh and then yeah that that leads to the Escobars with the documentary on ESPN it's a fascinating story but and you could see both plays um and they score a goal late a little bit unfortunate had that goal not gone in we probably play against Spain instead of Brazil Anyway, we play Romania the next game, probably our best game in the tournament, and we lose 1-0. They scored a goal in the near post. But, yeah, I mean, they're just uh, amazing, amazing memories right now. I, I just well, can't go Well, well here, here's where I want to go with this, because I want to kind of, like, tie us and bring us forward to the next World Cup in U.S. soccer in particular, because we, we've been alluding to and talking about <clears throat> uh, MLS, the messy factor, the popularity uh, even the role that social media is playing in kind of expanding the game here domestically into marketplaces that, frankly, it, it never cared because we were a big four country, right? And specifically in urban markets, we're football, basketball, right? Now soccer's knocking at the door, the messy factor, et cetera. Um, we're about to host the World Cup again. We're still going to need to utilize... NFL stadiums for the size and the capacity because our soccer specific stadiums are too small. Um, we have a lot of like growing expectations that really is picking up at a pace that back then at 94, like, like you said, a lot of people didn't even know what it was. They had no idea how successful that World Cup was going to be because they just didn't know the game. So that whenever everybody came and the dollars followed, they're like, holy shit, now here we are going into the next World Cup. What does U.S. soccer, in your opinion, need to do to gather all of these lightning bolts that are occurring at the same time from TV popularity, game popularity, social media popularity, the growth of academies, the quality of our youth programs? Everything is going in the right direction. Yet, after the last World Cup, it it seems like it's still... We just keep hitting speed bumps. How do we get over that speed bump, in your opinion? Well, that's not really the Federation. That's us as a nation, which then is Major League Soccer. Sure. 
And that's also youth development, that whole landscape, which is complicated. It's a business. It's, it's big. Um, I don't think there's one answer, you know. And when, when you say there's speed bumps, I assume you're meaning that we get to the second round and then we lose. Well, I just think that it's, we as Americans, we are extremely uh, egocentric about our abilities and our, and our mass and our strength and might. And why are we not succeeding, you know, in this game that seems so simplistic? We have all this money, we have all these people, we have all these players... Yet we're not taking home, you know, the the, the more global uh, trophies and victories and, and, you know, and taking out those top five teams. Um, so there's a lot of expectation. And I think that goes hand in hand with the popularity, the growth of the game. You, we're going to have more Americans that are going to be even more disappointed if we don't go further. Be it got to get to eight or the semifinals or whatever that metric is. Do you think that there's increased pressure due to the growth and how how would how would you manage or move forward with that pressure yeah it's a complicated question look americans are only gonna be satisfied if we win like the women's team the women's team wins everybody gets excited they win gold medals they win world cups And then now everybody's saying, well, how good are they? Uh, When you talk about the top five, more or less, those are the top five that have always been there. France, Italy, Argentina, Brazil. Holland had it for a little bit, and they've been to a few finals. Germany, England, 1966. (laughs) Yes, Germany. Spain, yes, they won in 2010. um, But... Now, there's a country that, look, you can, you can take each country and you can take, again, their culture or their style. Uh, what does their domestic league look like? How do they produce players? And you can especially do that with the U.S. So, again, it goes back to what is our culture in each city? What does the club landscape, when a kid first starts, what does that look like? And then what does the path look like? And again, that's, that's where it gets complicated because you have high school, because you have college and education is important in our country, which it also is in France. It also is in England. It also is in Spain. It's not as important as in Brazil or in Argentina. So there's different levels to this discussion. Then you have the fan base, which for sure has grown in the U.S. Uh, and then... Yeah, that that fan base wants success. They want you to win. But in order to win, you have to have a lot of pieces in place. You have to have a good domestic league. How many internationals are in that league? Let's take MLS right now. There's quite a few teams. It's easy to get a green card. So you can have 11 players on the field that are all international guys because 10 of them have green cards and maybe one guy's a foreigner. There's and many you, and, examples and you have, of that. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, on the flip side of that equation, do you, where do you see the value or do you see a lot of value in the fact that arguably our top 20, 25 players, the vast majority of them are in Europe? They are playing in the EPL, in the Bundesliga, in, in, in these top leagues. Do you see that as a good thing? Do you see that as an anomaly uh, given you know what we're talking about with MLS where you have 
so many foreign players that are populating the teams. How 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 do where where do you see that pendulum from a talent standpoint for domestic players? Uh, again, it's there's multiple layer, layers to this discussion because Major League Soccer is a great starting point and. Is the league getting better? For sure, the infrastructure is better. For sure, the coaching is better. Yes, there are some better international players. And it has, without a doubt, helped the U.S. national team. So that is a good starting point, I would say, for a player. And then I think we could also agree that if you, we don't have anybody really playing in Spain, uh, we have a few guys in England, a few guys in Germany, you know, a few other leagues that, that are also solid. Um, and so that helps the player's development. It challenges him in a different way, which then when you bring a national team together is going to be important, right, when you step on the, the field. The bar is raised a tad. <laughs> well, realistically, in 2026, on a 26-man roster, my guess is, and I'm just speculating two and a half years out, <clears throat> three years out, I don't think there'll be more than two pure MLS players on that roster. Yeah, I mean, that's just speculation. I, it, it, it would be, <laughs> if, if uh, a player like Landon Donovan, or, you know, it could just be a young player, but someone of that caliber could be the next Christian Pulisic right of uh we're talking Diego about Luna. certain certain qualities uh that yeah has speed has technical ability has mentality has you know different qualities he could come out of mls for sure and but again now when you talk about well we want to get to the final eight or the final four we want to win it all yeah, I mean, look at a Croatia or a Spain. I mean, you're talking about a really high-level player that's, that's well-developed. Right, and, I, and my speculation isn't because I think the MLS is a subpar league. I don't think, I mean, obviously we're not at the same level as a English Premier League or La Liga yet. Not, not we are at the level of Ingr English Premier League, but we're not at the top five teams of the English Correct. Premier League. So my point really isn't that I think the MLS is so bad that we're not going to have good players coming out of it. It's more the fact that it seems like in the last five to ten years, the emphasis has been on the players that are playing in Europe. Yeah. And I don't I know mean, if that's, look, a, it's, it's, it's a great, thing or it's if it's a, a great discussion. Right. Right. It's. Klinsman said we need more players in Europe. And in a way, he's right. We need more players playing in MLS. We just need more good players in general. True. Right? Well, that's, where, that's the answer. Where, where does style come into play, though, in your opinion? Because we've talked about this repeatedly on this show uh, w when we start to dissect U.S. soccer and uh, you know our, our player pool and either success or lack thereof. And it's always what comes up is mass and geography in the northeast versus southwest etc do you think that part of our problem is that we do have an identity crisis when it comes to style uh, as far as where our players start and what they learn or how they learn um, because everything is so fractured uh, is that a major problem in your opinion is that a minor problem and do you, do you think it even exists i don't think it exists style is a nice word but to me style doesn't mean anything 
for me, uh, talent, how do you develop talent? How do you get better soccer IQ? How do you take, uh, you know, a young Messi? You make your best players uncomfortable. Yes, that's part of it. But it takes a lot of time and a lot of different factors. It's not just making them uncomfortable. It's not just training every day. It's not just playing in the backyard. Although you would think by accident, if kids just played in the park, you would have a few special players. So in a way, for sure, organized soccer takes it out of them, takes the talent out of the player. Uh, when I was at LAFC, we had a guy, Enrique Duran. He coaches LAFC too. He comes out of the Barcelona Academy. And, and this is a discussion that's being talked about in a lot of academies, including Europe, or throughout Europe, that the phone has created uh, players that are not as good. It occupies their time. But at Barcelona, Enrique said, they're actually trying to put street soccer back into the curriculum because they thought if we cover every detail about the game and we teach them how to play soccer, we'll make better players. No, you can't teach a player how to play soccer. You can't teach Messi to become Messi. He created, the game helped create him. And so we have to create those environments. And that's a long discussion and it's complicated and you'll hear different opinions. Even Jan said, in Holland, after the Cruyff days, they are now doing jujitsu yeah. and instituting all these other ancillary activities into the, the curriculum, so to speak. And it's not just technical. Oh. It's not just technical. No, it's, and it's not just football. No. You know, basketball, uh, hopping over fences when you were a kid, yeah. climbing <laughs> trees. They have to replicate <laughs> gymnastics, tumbling, like how your body operates. Running yeah. from the police. I was going to say, Jared, um, <laughs> I, I, we, we could run over. No, I'm not, I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to say it, Patrick. Um, when the popo come, you jump those. <laughs> the, the I know we're cyclone. going to a break, but we are I, I do have a, a very here. serious question for you, Mike. And it's, it's really for Jared. Um, <laughs> do you still have your 94 denim jersey? And how much would you sell it to Jared for? <laughs> I have given a few away. Uh, That's I was, my favorite I was United going, States jersey of all time. I, I have two denim and one red striped jersey. Oh, oh. they're awesome. All right. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a quick break because it looks like uh, Jared might be up for some pretzel bites now out here at the park. They're we're going to do a so quick good. refill. Mike, thank you so much. We're going to come back and we're going we're gonna to hammer some more like super deep and dumb questions your way. You down with that? I'm down. All right. Sweet. We'll see. We'll be right back. Crescent Plumbing Supply helps save marriages. Really, as families grow, kitchen and bath needs change rapidly. Designing and choosing the right fixtures takes way more skill than just scrolling Pinterest. Staying on budget and avoiding those foreign language order sheets, that's not easy. Lucky for you, the local team at Crescent Plumbing Supply, they are experts. They can help you ditch the baby's tub for a teenage shower and upsize that kitchen sink for all those tumblers, rosé glasses, and sports water bottles. So, when you're ready for that kitchen or bath makeover, go to crescentsupply.com. That's crescentsupply.com. It's cheaper than a therapist. 
hope it's a tune that Jared and I cannot pick out because that makes me feel really good. You know this one. There you go. Title right there. Easy one. I tossed you a softball, guys. Now, just name the artist. I don't know. I know the song. I mean, I've heard all these songs, dude, but I don't like study the lyrics and the album cover. Have you ever heard of David Bowie? I have heard of him. Yeah, this is him. There you go. Alright, we're back. My friends here proving yet again they need to listen to more music. Well, not only listen to it, but I guess write down the name of the artist and album for every song that we listen to. And memorize it. I because I feel that. like I can play this game if I had the controls and I could stump him. Yeah, I, I, I think, think he's doing this on purpose. I'm pretty well, I think sure it's really could. easy when he's actually the, the one hitting play and seeing <laughs> the, the name of no, the No, no, I have very song. few skills in my toolbox. Name that tune is one of them. I don't even have a toolbox. No, you don't. <laughs> All right, moving on. You, you have a multi-use <laughs> Phillips screwdriver. Yeah. I, I want to ask Mike a question about something very off-topic to a degree. It's soccer-related. It's about we we talked about this a couple times. I think we covered it in the last episode. The quality of broadcast for soccer in the U.S. I think. Your voice needs to be heard, and I don't know if the Apple execs are listening. They are. They won't admit it, but they are. But I think your voice and your tone and, and, and quality, I think, could drastically elevate <laughs> what's going on right now. <laughs> Do you want to go into the booth, Mike, is what he's saying. You ready to go in the booth, grab the mic? Yeah, I'm, I'd be open to that. that. That would be, that's not an easy job. Oh, I'm that not suggesting that it is. That is not an easy job. I and think we're figuing that out watching the games. <laughs> you know? well, yes. Are yes. you asking what's next? What's next for Mr. Schoen? I kind of am. Yeah, that's really kind of, I mean, you're coming off a stint with Toronto. Um, you're back in the loo, and obviously you're elevating your game by talking to us. But <laughs> what is next for you? Yeah, when you're in this period of time where you have some time to think about it, Look, I would like to coach. I would like to be a head coach. Um, but you have to be open to different ideas and, and different options. Um, right now, it's, it's a waiting game to see, can I get an opportunity? Uh, what opens up? What, who can I speak with? Um, obviously, I love the game. I've been in, in it a long time. I've invested a lot of time, and it's been great. So I'm not exactly sure what's next. All right, well said. And, and, and whatever's next, um, one thing's for sure, um, your intelligence, your pedigree, we use that word often, is, is at an extreme level. So um, I think whatever's next, you will probably, if it's in this game, um, you will have a great deal of success. And um, I hope, you know, we hope uh, you land on your feet running and, and and you just knock it out of the park, which I think you will. Well, that would be great. Yeah, Thanks. I mean, let's let, let's kind of speculate here. Like, paint, paint a p- perfect picture. You know, you East Coast, West Coast, whatever. Like, what works for you kind of at this stage in your career? Because you, you've hit a lot of geographical points, right? You've seen the styles. You know the teams. You know the ownership groups. Like, what is appealing to you for this next phase you know, you stated head coach status, but what kind of program, what kind of like 
What's 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 that icing on the cake for you? And why is it college? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, co- college I've done, and college is a lot of administrative work. So preferably, I, I would like to to stay in the pro game right now. Look, on the pro side, it, it's about wins and losses. Right. We understand that. This comes with the territory. Look, you hope you you find an organization that really wants to do something different. Um, it's not just about winning, but again, what kind of culture can you create? Can you create something different? I think we did that at LAFC. I think we had a, I know people like to talk about a style, but we had a way of playing that people were excited about. Uh, I like the ball. I like chances. I think why are why is everybody so excited about Messi? Because it's entertaining. It's different. It's fun. Um, but look, there's there's a lot of different ways to play this game, and I'm not saying there's only one way. But I would like to have, if I could work with a, with a club with a, with an ownership group that said, look. Uh, we want to do things a little bit different. We're looking for somebody that has some experience, that's been a part of, you know, some of the best moments in, in U.S. soccer, whether it was in 94, whether it was 2010, Landon's goal against uh, Algeria that, that really got things excited, whether that's LAFC that really created something different. Um, that's what we're looking for. I'd be on board with that. Well, okay, so that's let's let, let's bring it back to the three one four then, because uh, clearly you're familiar with our new team. <laughs> You've seen what's been going on. Here we are sitting at the All Star break, um, beating everybody's expectations and and guesses, sitting at the top of the table in the West. Um, and to your point, this ownership group. Uh, with Lutz and the coaching staff and just all the decisions that they've been making since it's really been kind of more open to the public really has been way more naysayers saying, I don't get it, right? I don't see it. I don't understand it. Specifically, a lot of St. Louis soccer people that were not not necessarily negative, but super inquisitive as to how is this even going to work? And then you get into the whole lack of uh, designated players or, or bigger name de- designated players. What's your, what's your take on what this ownership group has done with this coaching staff sitting here at the break, again, first place? You know, what's your opinion on how they've done it? Well, they've, they've clearly done a good job. Um, they sit in first place. They, they have a, a way of playing. They're all on the same page. They're all moving in the same direction. You know, the, the whole expectation, I, I was part of two expansion teams. One was with Montreal, so that was in Canada. That's a little bit different or unique, I would say. And then, obviously, LAFC which we weren't in first place, but we had a good first year. So, of course, when you're getting started, everything is just speculation. What? Look, at LAFC, we had Vela, so there was name recognition here, there. Where here, you had Berkey, the goalkeeper, and everybody said, well, why are you starting with the goalkeeper? But I think that's one of the important moves that they made. Clearly, he, yeah. he does a great job. And, He's not bad. And makes some 
he's one of the top goalkeepers in the league, if not the best. So, you know, I think they had a, a good vision. They had, uh, they hired the right people for what they wanted. And again, they're all on the same page. And that's a big part of any organization that you have to believe in what you're working with and what you're doing. And they do. Obviously, they had a built-in fan base. Everybody's very excited. And when the team has success right out of the gate and starts winning, that energy and that excitement, I think, has built on itself. And they've, they've continued that. Yeah. Do, yeah. Do, do you see the way, I mean, because you, you know the league better than most. You've seen how teams have been structured and built from not only an expansion standpoint, but participating in well-established teams. Do you think that what you're looking at with this particular team uh, going into the second half of the season, do you see any reason that it can't continue to sustain kind of th th this momentum, this success ratio, and potentially take them deep into the playoffs? Well, I, I think it will continue. I don't know to what extent. Um, it's just speculation that they stay sure. in first place or third place. How much of their style of play after everybody sees what they do when you're clearly a guy that wants to keep the ball, um, how much when it gets into the hot summer months will their style of play, um, will that affect them, especially when they're starting to see teams more than once? Look, their style of play, it's a Red Bull style of play. It's very clear. Um, again, it's, it's a style that they try to create chaos. They clearly do that. Yes. They go, they counterattack, they go forward. They're very restarts, opportunistic. Restarts are a big part of their game. Yes. Um, so because they create this chaotic style, um, there's other teams in the league that have done it. Red Bull did it with Jesse Marsh. That's where it started. Obviously, Bradley Cornell worked with him. Yes. Uh, Philadelphia Union, Jim Curtin. They got a uh, sporting director, Ernst Tanner. Um, that was after I left and went to L.A. They started that model, and it has been successful. And then Pat Noonan in Cincinnati, I think he has a version of that also. What goes with the style is what players you have. And I think, look, they're for the most part, they're solid in the back. They're obviously very good in goal. In the midfield, they have some good pieces that cover a lot of ground, create the chaos. And they have some guys up top that they're not necessarily clinical, but they're opportunistic and they score enough. Yeah. So they have, they were able to lay out um, a style and then they were able to identify the players that fit that model. I think it helped having a whole year with City 2 playing in yeah. That weird next. year really helped them build Big. the organization and getting those three guys to come in where they could have played professionally somewhere else and for more money and they bought in. That that year is is over the is unexplainable about how important that was. Yeah, that that had a lot of value and it it created some depth, you yeah. know. Um, well, let, let me ask you just an emotional question. As a St. Louis kid, does it excite you? Are you happy for this team? Does it like? Do you have a little bit of a heartstring? You know, regardless of your affiliation and whoever's cutting the checks or not cutting the checks or wherever you land up, do, land. Do, do you have kind of an unspoken love affair with the team? If you're willing to answer that. Well, I wouldn't say with the team because, yes, my only connection is the city of St. Louis. That's what I'm sure. most excited about yeah. for everybody that has 
talked about MLS or said, oh, it would be great if we got a team and can we get an ownership group? So I love that the owners are local. I love that they're all in on this project. I'm, I'm glad that it's successful and they're excited about it. And again, it's, it's a big part of the city. Soccer is, has helped put St. Louis on the map and continues to keep St. Louis on the map yeah, along well with the Blues and the Cardinals. Those, yeah. are, those are great organizations along with worldwide technology and enterprise. So there are great companies. There are great people here. There are great soccer people here. That's what I'm excited about. The Can team itself, yeah, it's not my place to sure. comment. Is it a good style? Is it not a good style? What are they doing? No, I, I see that it's successful. I see they're on the same page, and I'm happy for everybody involved. So well, when, you, when you travel around, though, as a St. Louis guy, whenever people you know, in the league talk about St. Louis being in first place, do you ever say, told you so? Like, well, <laughs> what they say, did you did you think that it would be as you know, would it, the excitement be like this? Did you think it would be this great? And I said, yeah, there was no reason not to think that. All they, right. They had the you had the steamers from the late 70s to the mid 80s. Yeah. Where what it what was do you awesome. call it? Mullet and muscle? Yeah, so yeah, flipping the script here, we have to touch on this because it's it, it's an extremely important part of, of you, your career. Um, the Mexican First Division, um, you going there, playing for the Pumas. Um, I have a whole bunch of speculation. I'm just going to set the table and I'll shut up and you, 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 just, you just go down the road here. Um, what did it mean to you to you're kind of a pioneer, if you will? You know, you're not kind of, you are. You play in that Mexican first division, you make the best 11. Um, in a time, and, and currently, even in this time, and maybe I'm incorrect, they're not very friendly to Americans playing in their domestic league. So, could, <laughs> could, 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 you, could you talk about your time at, at, at UNAM Pumas, um, how you got there? How they, uh, I mean, for you to have the success, the success that you had, you had to be accepted in the group. Just, just, just spit out, spit the game on on the Pumas, man, because what an iconic club. So I'll go a little, I'll go back a little before I got there. Yes, it is an iconic club. I would say Pumas, Club America, who St. Louis is going to play Thursday, and Chivas. Those are yeah. those are the top three clubs in the country. Uh, 1979, my dad coached the university team for the U.S., and they trained in uh, Squaw Valley and then went down to Mexico City, and actually they paraded through the Olympic Stadium, which is where my home games were. But he hated it. <laughs> he hated Mexico City. So it was different back then. Now fast forward to 1995. The World Cup is over. And I was back at SLU finishing up school and Bora, the coach of the U.S. team, he had played for Pumas, coached at Pumas, and he, they contacted him and said, look, we need a center midfielder. And he said, I, I got a guy for you. The coach was, was Brazilian, Tuca Ferretti. He's been in Mexico forever. He also had played for Pumas. And basically, uh, we called my dad. He said, don't ask me what I think of Mexico City. You know what I think, but do what you think is best. <laughs> so I I'm said, all right, <laughs> all right, I'm going. So Yeah, but Dad, you should see the zeros behind this peso. <laughs> so I ended up finishing up school at SLU. I go down before Christmas, 
Um, I have a flight on TWA, which still existed, and I'm flying through Dallas. They didn't have a direct flight. And the flight was delayed because of weather, like four or five hours out of St. Louis. Again, I don't have a cell phone. I don't have any information as to who's picking me up. I'm just going to Mexico City to this Club Pumas. That has an airport story. <laughs> I heard that. Yeah. I heard that one. That was a good one. So get on the plane. I fly down. You land in Mexico City, and they don't have enough gates. So you're out on the tar- tarmac. There's a people mover. You get off the plane and onto this people mover and I'm in the back of the people mover when it docks at the at the main terminal and I mean it's taken like 30 minutes to get off of this thing so I'm thinking what's going on as I get to where I'm going to step off there's like 50 reporters but I'm not thinking that's for me but then they say do you speak Spanish no, I don't speak a word of Spanish. Okay, we'll translate for you. Why are you here? Why are you playing for Pumas? Yeah, I'm, I'm here because I just play soccer. I don't know. Like, I couldn't say that, but that's what Who I'm thinking. Who knows Yeah, yeah. So anyway, I show up, train, start playing. Obviously, I'm going to stick out when I, when I walk through the city. I'm white skin. So yeah, I would walk through the mall or whatever and... You know, people would look at you, and everybody knew who you were, and they would say, pinche gringo, there's the shit American. <laughs> so that's when you know, all right, yeah, things are going pretty good here. Um, we lost our first game to Leon, 2-0, played in Leon, but we played good, but we lost. But after that, we went 15 games in a row. We either tied or we won. And what and kind of minutes are you getting? Are you playing all I'm minutes? I'm starting and playing every minute. Wonderful. And after that first game, Tuca didn't speak a word of English. I didn't speak a word of Spanish. But or Portuguese. if you play for Bora, his English is very broken. And But they speak the same language as my Church dad. Told us you that. can understand it. <laughs> so I knew it's that after that first India. game against Leon that, yeah, he was happy with what I did and how I fit in. And after that, um, it was an easy transition. You were part of the family. I was part of the family. So you won them over quickly, off. early, and, and so that's the big hurdle probably in that scenario. Is establishing yourself. Again, with consistency and, you know, again, they would say, how does, how does a kid from St. Louis show up in Mexico and yet he plays like a Central American or a Mexican-style player? And I would say, yeah, there's this place called Flow Valley. That's, that's how you do it. <laughs> um, wow. and, and there were articles written that sometimes Tuca would say, look, you got to translate this. But the guy would say, yeah, everything flows through this American kid. It's, it's interesting. Which is, has said nobody ever in the Mexican First Division. Ever. Just so our listeners are clear, the kid from Florissant, Delwood, Delwood, Delwood. Can we call Jamestown? No, we can't. Let's call. <laughs> let's call Delwood. So Delwood is playing in the Mexican First Division, running their center midfield. Speechless. That's the first American. I mean, ever. I mean, will well, there be an American than, do it again? Other than what do you think? Other than Beasley, who did it? Well, you had so Clay Coyman went down there before me. He was. A tough, hard-nosed defender, played for Cruz Azul. I went to Pumas. Then Marcelo Balboa went to Leon, and Tab Ramos went to Tigres. Uh, yeah. So there's a few of us. Winalda actually went down 
later, but did his ACL. He played maybe a game or two. Okay. But yeah, there there aren't many. And then Demarcus yeah. went to Puebla. Let's. We're going to bring you back domestic because I, I want to get your take because I understand um, that you've gone through it with your with your own son, uh, and that is the academy versus high school. This is a running topic. <laughs> And I'm not going to mention my alma mater. <laughs> um, Granite City. See? I didn't say it. Bingo card. But everybody knows. Nah, I'm not going to say it. Because you say it a lot. Anyway, no. <laughs> I, I really am curious as to your take on this thing. Because you, you for your whole career, from playing uh, university, pro, national team, to coaching, etc., you've literally been on the front line of it. You've, you won state titles in you know your own background you did that and then you went through everything that you have now you're here we are in 2023 you're familiar with the academy landscape you know what the the clubs are doing the mls clubs in particular you know the expansion of mls next into other clubs you know the 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 gallagher's of the world the strikers of the world etc etc and then there's the other side of the equation that is really the historical component And, and i don't mean that belittling but high school soccer in particular and this separation that is occurring there and there's there's an arm wrestling match as to what's more valuable what's you know more rounded blah 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 blah. just out of the gate ground opinion where do you think youth soccer specifically competitive youth soccer as it applies to academies versus good competitive high schools where where is that right now it's simple. In, in there, there's not one answer. And, and it's not club and it's not high school. And it's not academy um, and it's not college and it's not pro. It's all of it. It's all important. It should be all inclusive. I think it's up to the individual to decide. Now, if you ask me my opinion, uh, it depends on the individual player as to what is most important. And that is not easy to, to filter out or to discuss. It's sort of like when you want to get married, you know, you know. When you're dealing with a, a kid who plays soccer, what is his passion level? What is his talent level? We're going to have a lot of discussions on it. Uh, some are going to say, I don't think he's good enough. Look, I, I, I take myself. I'm a late bloomer, I was small, I'm not the most physical. I don't fit the St. Louis uh, rough and tough, blue collar sort of physicality, but I do fit the mentality. What What would be best for me would not have been high school, even though it was fun. It would have been a better environment, um, uh, a, a pro environment, so to speak, Yeah. that could have helped progress me, I think, farther. I think I had more potential, so to speak, but you have to be exposed to that level at an earlier age. So for some kids, I think it's great that they play with whatever club. It doesn't have to be an MLS club. I think it's great that some kids play high school and college and still can become pros. Do I think they can maximize their ability? No, I don't think they can max out because I think you lose time. Um, But I think there's a place for all of it. Well, and and for our listeners, just so everybody's clear, um, this gentleman just um, 
had a stint um, with the Toronto MLS team who has a very high-level MLS academy. So uh, if we're talking about MLS academies, um, this guy knows. So that, that, that remark or that answer um, has a lot of validity to, to the argument that we're talking about because you, um, you played high school, and, and this isn't a dude that just played for the national team and did some coaching. He probably was a high-level voice in, not probably was a high-level voice in the Toronto MLS Youth Academy because it's filtered from the top down, as all of our listeners know. And, and there's, to that example, there's, there's one player in particular. Uh, his name is Lazar. Played in the U-17 World Cup. I had only been there a year. I hadn't seen him at the younger ages. He came on my radar watching the Canadian U-17 team. They qualified for the World Cup, which he'll go to in August. But because I was the technical director, my you, you don't want to compare, but you end up sometimes using these examples. He's my Tim Ream that I had with St. Louis University. And I said, look, I don't know how good of a center back this kid's going to be, but he has a brain. He reads the game really well. His dad actually played at Lindenwood, and Kevin Kalish had called me from St. Louis <laughs> University saying, hey, do you know this kid Lazar? I said, yeah, but forget about it. This kid needs to be a pro. So he's young. He's a little underdeveloped, but I fast-tracked him to the MLS next team and said, this kid needs to play here versus U17 because I think as long as he's not overwhelmed and not drowning. But we need to give him a little bit of time to see how this goes. And he started and played pretty much every game. I think he will play for the Canadian national team. Time will tell. I'm, I've gotten other players wrong also. But um, that's one example of a kid that could have played high school, could have gone to college, but I think he has the potential to go to the next level. But I think that's part of the system that is is started now and it's it's been there for a while but it takes people with your pedigree and your eye you know when we asked joe clark about the it factor he said you can just see it when we talked about brian mcbride right he goes you can just see it you saw something in lazar yeah. that another coach didn't and several coaches didn't see go go ahead and tee it up ask the question well, I don't, I, I'm, that's your question. No, I mean, you open the door. Do well, it. I, I, You're good. The, the it factor we talk about a lot. And, you know, you recognize that in Lazar, that he had something that stood out for you amongst all the other U-17s or within the entire academy. And you plucked him out and gave him something different to challenge him and to make him grow. And so, you know, JB's big question typically is, how, how do you define that it? I mean, you said he was underdeveloped. You said he was, you know, you, you, you kind of knocked him down a little bit to build him back up. But what are those intangibles or what are those tangible things that you see when you say, hey, that's a Lazar, he has it. Yeah, there's, there's different qualities, so to speak. Yeah. One is the, the passion and the desire that he shows up. What's his personality like? Uh, every day, what does he look like? Then there's the soccer IQ part, which again, there's an athletic part and then there's the technical part. And so, yeah, his ability to read the game, problem solve, 
his awareness. What you will see with players sometimes is how they've been coached. So there's certain things when the ball goes back to the goalkeeper, he runs to certain positions like a robot. And we would say, <laughs> you, know, you know, don't just run to spot A if spot B or C is, makes more sense when the goalkeeper has the ball or where the space is. So, yeah, it's, it's game understanding. Again, what is game understanding? How many touches do you take? How good are you in tight space? Uh, how good are you at uh, reading a situation and coming up with the, the right solution? Um, how quick do you react? How quick do you think? Yeah, it's, um, there's a lot of little details in there is what I would say. And, and it's a collaborative discussion because your eyes filter certain things. You see things a certain way that maybe right. I miss and my eyes see certain things that maybe you miss. And then it's a little bit of a group discussion to try to formulate the best plan to help that kid's development. So, so let me then, let me accelerate that question to your own experience as a player, um, being on the field, uh, specifically with the national team, uh, in, in, the, in the lineups that you were paired with. Who was the one? Who was the one that you knew when you, you know, when you went into camp and whatever, whatever the tournament or whatever the friendly or whatever it was, when you looked at the roster and you saw, you know, Joe X is on that list that you were like, hell yeah. Like, who was the one that had that it from a locker room, from a competitive that you was your, your wingman? Well, look, I think at that time when I got there was 1992. Um, there's different stages. Obviously, I had watched that group play here at the soccer park in some right qualifiers. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you had Peter Vermees, Desmond Armstrong, Marcelo Balboa, Fernando Frankie Clopas. No, Clavijo came later. He didn't play Did here you? in qualifiers. Oh, did he? he played indoor. Yes, Did you're right. You? But then when I got there, he, he had played in a U.S. Cup, but I didn't see it, or a Gold Cup. Um, the games weren't on TV as much as here. Uh, and that my, just think about that. The gold cup wasn't on TV in 1992. Yeah. Yeah. Soccer and, made in Germany. So when they, when I, when I got brought to the national team, they had about 25 of us, mostly college kids, Mark Chung, uh, Zach Ibsen, Roy Lassiter, Mursad. Anyway, 25 of us and they kept five of us. And so we went in and, and started training. And the very first training session was at FIU in Florida and Roy Lasseter put the ball between Bruce Murray's legs and went whoop. And then he did it again, and Bruce went after him and broke his leg. So I said, yeah, this is a little bit different than Slew, <laughs> right? So now once they move us out to Mission Viejo, we train out there for a year and a half before the World Cup. And now, yeah, for a few games, Parks has come back from Europe or Ramos has come back from Europe. Um, Thomas Dooley had come back. So, yeah, the, the one guy, Tab Ramos, is very skillful. Everybody else had talent, had skill, game understanding, could, could do a lot of good things. But Eric Winalda is the one striker that, for me, he's one of the best that the U.S. has ever produced. Mark and his, dad, his dad's actually from Hazelwood. 
Oh, yeah? Yeah. Not from Delwood? Nope. I didn't know that. <laughs> hey, you know Mark Moser, uh, Mullet Muscle. That's his guy, too. Yeah, I mean, he. I, I remember watching. It was it was fun because you know when the when the ball was moving into his direction, he he had that fluidity, like he was going to find the gap. He, he could beat you on the dribble. Yeah, um, he could put out a pass. He ran in the box. You know, he got a red card in the 1990. Well, that's World what Cup. I was about to go. He 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 was that dude, and we've referenced it on shows. We talked about it with Landon. We talked about it with Clint. We talked about it with some of these guys. He was a mother effer. I mean, he was a dude that played with the chip on his shoulder that he just was a little bit higher of a, I wouldn't say level. It, it, he, he just was that guy. Well, is People it that, hated is him. Is it that competitive factor? Like, like, as a kid, he probably, you know, threw the dice if he lost it, you know, craps or whatever. Like, it, was it the competitive bone in him or was it just... Well, yeah. I mean, look, I think that... that that time and, and even before that in the in the 80s look the american player had to fight and scrap for every inch to survive to win to make the team right um and so i think that whole team had that grit that determination that desire to you know we have to find a way to succeed to to try to help this sport to get somewhere and what Eric had that, but then he also had some some talent and something different to to unlock things, to to score some great goals, free kicks, uh, to play against the best teams in the world. So, same question. Fast forward to current generation. Who do you like? Who do you like in the national team camp that is, you know, a the the one that you want to see on the field and you want to see the ball at their feet? The one guy, look, Christian Pulisic does some, some really good things. I think he's uh, has scored some important goals. I think he puts out a good pass. I think he does things a little bit different. But the one guy who's the most different for me is Gio Reyna. You know, it, He's a little bit injury prone, so I hope he outgrows that or overcomes that. But he has something a little bit different from a soccer standpoint, from a being dangerous standpoint. When he made that run against Mexico, was that one of the moments in which it was an eye opener? No, you had. Look, I've seen him since he was younger because sure. when I was in Philadelphia, he was with NYCFC and he was playing up. Uh, as a nine and yeah he just had a way of running by guys his brain operates a little bit different thinks a little bit different the way he sees space the way he's able to execute so his skill level yeah he's able he's able to make make the game look different that's awesome well we are not going to take up any more of your time because I'm sure you have way better things to do than to sit here and ask and answer these questions. Um, I just want to thank you for joining us, man. It's uh, you know, the the people that listen, you know, we, we get a lot of messages about I had no idea, and it and it's a bunch of three one four people. So you know, you're you're gonna make their day that they get to hear these stories. So I want to thank you, thank Patch for uh, making the connection. 
uh, and really wish you the best of luck on the next step and, you know, wherever that takes you. Thank you. Um, it's been great. I appreciate it. And, you know, North County was where it's at. <laughs> hey. Especially uh, Delwood. Miami's in last. Um, are they looking for a coach? <laughs> they just hired Tata. Ah, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, realistically, what I mean, if Miami were to get, say Tata is like, you know what? I hate the sun, right? What would you do? I mean, what would you do with Messi on your bench? Let's go. That would be great. <laughs> that would be entertaining. Yeah. Let's go. All right. Well, hey, Mike, thank you very much. Thanks so much, Mike. Jared, Zach, thank you as well. Patch, thanks for hosting. Um, you know, people, give it a follow. Give it a share. And uh, Pinnacle Lone Boys, thank you for your support. And we will be back next time with another brilliant ga- guest from the 314. Mike, take care. 314. Thanks. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. The term staycation was really invented by soccer moms. Located one hour and seven minutes from the arch, the Music Box Chalet at Innsbruck is a hidden gem. Buried in three acres of private woods, the Music Box has a master suite for just you, a loft and second bath for them, and a vinyl collection to meet your every mood. The full-size kitchen will easily accommodate three to 12 bottles of rosé, while the huge fire pit seating area will keep the big kids busy. Golf, fishing, kayaking, pickleball, or simply reading a book with Mother Nature, all at your fingertips. Visit either VRBO or Airbnb to find the Music Box Chalet. And now, back to those guys.